Yeah, on January 6, 2012, the Brisbane Heat hosted the Hobart Hurricanes. According to Trick Buzz, he's named as a batting all-rounder. We'll be catching all the big moments on KO Sports. The amount of potency in Clive Rose's <laughs> voice and his mere presence. I do enjoy cricket. <laughs> <laughs>
before Kane Richardson went to the Renegades, I think he did five seasons or so at Perth, and he was always very much the Scorchers bowler. Shaw Marsh, before he went to the Renegades, was always... Well, and the opening pair as well of Voges and Klinger for, exactly. for many seasons. Absolutely iconic. I don't think you have that as much in a city where you have two teams, and subsequently, you just don't have the same amount of like atmosphere or following around it. I was saying this to you the other day, actually, when we weren't doing a podcast with the AFL as a good example, you've got a glut of teams. You have so many games every single week. Obviously there's a lot of historical roots of AFL, but each team has a kind of vibe. Like I would argue just for two examples, Sydney Swans is sort of the rich kids. Uh, Collingwood is kind of the private school elite that everyone loves to hate on, but secretly likes controversial <laughs> Richmond used to be the heritage cool team to go for that always lost again not anymore but you sort of develop those atmospheres around them and you mm. I don't think you have that around the stars sixes renegades etc bit too much transience there between the teams I, th- I, 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 so. I, I fully agree with that and I think maybe all I'd add is uh, I think maybe a thing about the cities is that and the bigger cities is that things just kind of come in cycles and what's cool changes I, I mean I think um AFL wasn't cool 10 years ago and now it's cool. Cricket, you know, kind of seems to come in waves of when it's cool. Um, the Big Bash obviously was brand new five-ish years ago and the SCG would pack out. And I wonder if it's just a natural cycle of things. I mean, obviously, people have made a lot of um, decisions from Big Bash headquarters about expanding the length so on. I, I get a sense that it's just a kind of natural cycle of things as well. I think so too. I think everything will... It- like once, once you put a new sporting league in, and I think, you know, you can see this in other leagues around the world, in any sport, you have a sort of slow build and then a real pop explosion of interest and then a kind of plateau that gives you an idea then of what that long-term engagement is going to maybe look like. I definitely think that plateau, again, in the Eastern cities mm. is far less than I think what CA were hoping for and expecting. But maybe that's just the case. Like everyone thought, oh, wow, average crowd of 30,000. It was amongst the top 10 domestic leagues in all sport in, in the whole world yeah. in terms of average attendance. Um, and, and maybe that was just too optimistic to think that, that, that they could keep it at that kind of level. I think ironically now we're at a point where there's the same amount of people rocking up to each game roughly, probably a bit more on average. I would think very, very similar ballpark as, you know, the 2001 ING Cup days <laughs> where you what, you look back at videos of Mark Waugh taking on Jason Gillespie at ANZ Stadium and there's 25,000 people there, which is insane to think about. And obviously the old, well, not obviously, but for those who remember the old domestic cup that we had with ODIs in Australia that was a much more regionally focused league. You'd often see games in like Barrel and Mooney that we, you know, we've spoken enough about on the podcast. Um, you wouldn't have as much stuff happening in the central cities, but also another factor to consider is that you have all the test players often playing and we've, we've, we've spoken about this in your absence miles, but this, I think absolutely stupid tour to India that's just happens, which I think there's been enough said about it. There's been enough hit pieces yep. written yep. about Let's it. Move on. Yeah. We, we don't have to go back over that. I think we can all agree that it's total bullshit, but if you like, I think we, we're going to see a spark of interest now. I would think because you've got Labashain coming into the heat, you've got Steve Smith coming into the sixes and Hazelwood joining him. You mm. A lot of, I don't know how much of the rest of the test squad or that ODI squad are signed up to the big bash league, but 
hopefully moving forward, there can be more priority given to seeing those test players play. I would like to think the entire thing because it is the showpiece event of the summer on paper. I don't think it's acting as the showpiece event of the summer in terms of the result this year. Well, it kind of changes modes to like a few times during the season because at, at times it's, you know, the test cricket's on during the day and then the big bash is on straight after that. Obviously, you're not going to get the test players in those games, but then there are other times where they're available and it's just a... Maybe we, maybe we could sum this all up by just calling it it's a bit of an identity crisis in the Big Bash Absolutely. in a number of different ways. That's got to be the title of today's episode, surely. Why don't we move on and uh, just chat through the table, starting at the bottom with the Renegades, who at the start of the season, I remember we picked as still one of the strongest teams in the comp. Alistair, where has it gone wrong for the Renegades? And they've won a couple of games recently, but it, really it was a horror, horrific start for them. Where actually, did it go wrong? I actually don't know. As, uh, and and I don't want to sound like unprepared or mm. whatever, but it's so odd to me how this happens because the Renegades on paper, apart from, say, you know, old-timers like Cameron White, the who aren't there anymore, they've got a very, very similar list. If anything, I would have thought they strengthened their yeah. list with Sean yeah. Marsh coming in and Kane Richardson, I think, has been bowling really, really well for them. I guess it's just a matter of with these teams, if your big name players don't perform as well, that has such a bigger knock-on effect in cricket than you might see in other sports. Mm. So I would say it's the same with Adelaide Strikers last season. You know, they were the reigning champs then and you just didn't see people like Jake Lehman or Alex Carey or Travis Head Mm. busting out those big scores as much as they would have the season beforehand. And so many factors can be involved in a batsman getting out that are dependent on luck so much more than, say, again, like a sport like AFL where you have however many people, like 15 people on each team at the same time. And arguably, because um, there's less matches played as well, I think the more matches played gives more chance for these bigger name and, and better players to, to come out. But in a short season, obviously, um, there's kind of more variables at play. But speaking of that, just very quickly, yeah. I do think their middle order has let them down, particularly, I think, I think Dan Christian. Christian or Christensen? Dan Christian. Yeah, yeah. I think Dan Christian has been incredibly lackluster this year. Uh, he's been spanked around a lot with a with yeah. a ball. He's made a couple of uh, donuts with the bat uh, when they really needed him to push things along and keep a run chase going or try and be that big pinch hitter. So I think that once you get through that Finch, Marsh, sort of murky top order, once you get past Marcus Harris, who I who definitely is not a T20 player by any stretch of the imagination. I think things get a bit salty there. Um, they had a cracker of a game against the Hurricanes just a couple of days ago. Hobart set 190 thanks to uh, Matty Wade and McAllister Wright uh, and on some late hitting from Ben McDermott. Anyway, a good score from Hobart who've also been fairly mediocre this season. Renegades are on track and uh, Nubby was at the crease striking at over 200. Clive Rose got him out in the second last over. And then youngster Nathan Ellis held on to defend, I think it was about six runs or seven runs in the last over. Only went for two or three. Awesome. I think the, the Hurricanes have been playing way better than what they look than what the table says they are. So, we, so you know, for those playing along at home, we're going bottom to top of the table right now. Hurricanes are in seventh. I went and saw the Hurricanes against the Thunder uh, about a week and a half ago. 
And once again, the Thunder were absolutely cruising. Uh, Hales and Kawaja had nearly a century stand at the top. Um, and then, you know, took two two quick wickets. No worries for the Thunder still. They had some big hitting to come and the Hurricanes just held their nerve and they took it to the last over. Now, the Thunder got over the line in the end, but I think they took it to the fourth ball of the last yeah, over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so they, they just had a... They, they haven't rolled over at, at all throughout this season. Once again, I think their pace attack leaves a little bit to be desired. Clive Rose sometimes has his day with the ball, sometimes doesn't, but he's, he's definitely had a few good days with the bat. Yeah. David, yeah. David Miller's either the best player in the world or a forgettable grade player at best. So they're, they're a bit of a bipolar team, so to speak. But when they're on, they're unbeatable, but it's just a matter of the consistency with them that I think has been their enemy. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, I'm looking at their scores. They've kind of gone 190, 170 the last couple of games. Before that, all out for 98. Um, all out for, oh, not all out, but only 162 the game before. So Exactly. Yeah, consistency is maybe the name of the game for the Hurricanes. Heading up, we've got the Heat who are on 10 points, but with a game in hand on all the other teams. How, how do you rate their last week? I think it's coming together for the Heat now, to be honest with you. Yeah. AB's been, I think, not as amazing as everyone thought he would be. But I, again, I think that's the that's the manner with cricket. You can't just expect a batsman to come in who's a freelance T20 player mm. when they're a bit older and just play the same way that they did five or six years ago. I think Chris Lynn has actually been pretty good for them this year. Like he's had, you know, he hasn't stood up all the time, but I, to me, it seems like he's been a little bit more consistent. Um, Steckity's put in some good bowling performances. I think they got Mujib who's um, come in for the back half of the season too. And he's been looking fairly tidy. They're in sixth. They had a slow start to the season, but I think the Sydney Thunder will be really sweating on Brisbane Heat because I think it's beginning to come together for them a bit. They're in an interesting scenario as well where they haven't been able to build up much momentum because there's been gaps between their last few games. Friday last week, they got rolled by the Strikers, only making 100, and then... um, Oh, thank God they got to 100, though. Yeah. What a a big moment. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that was um, followed up by a pretty incredible collapse... Um, chasing 164 off the Renegades. They lost 10 for 36. Yeah, 10 for 36. In, in the biggest collapse in Big Bash history, actually. Huge. I wonder if collapses when you draw the... This is a very general question, but when where do you draw the line? Do you need to string together like two overs of no wickets or get 10 runs on the board before it resets? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I generally I think people pick whatever sounds most impressive. Like you just go by the fall of wickets. It doesn't matter how long I mean, ten, there 10 are. 10 for 36 is fairly damning. Um, so I... I'd maybe push back a bit, and I think it looked like it was all going, kind of all turning around for them, but the last two results, and that was uh, almost a week ago now since their last game. Um, now, they are playing tonight against the Sixers, but I don't know. It, momentum's obviously a, a huge factor in cricket, and, and especially in a T20 competition where you're playing all the time. So I would pick them over the Sixers, though, any day. Okay. Just, in, just in the way that the Sixers, they do their classic Sheffield Shield bowling for the better part. I think... Mm about the likes of cutting Lynn and AB with the amount of tricks and adaptability they have, generally speaking, should be fairly destructive on them if they bat first. But they've been really open on the fact that they're a team that prefer to chase anyway, which yep. is interesting. So, Although it has gone wrong for them a couple of times. 
Um, next up, we've got Thunder in fifth, which of course is the first, what's well, the bottom final spot this time around. And we, we, you can go back and listen to our first Big Bash episode if you want to hear how the finals work. Maybe we'll explain it again when we get there. I'm very excited about the finals. Yeah, I think I think it should be a lot of fun. And and uh, it it sounds confusing, but it's not actually that confusing how how the final system work. Um, anyway, it's been an interesting season for the Thunder. Just uh, pretty much alternating wins and losses, really. Yeah, um, they go one for one all the time. I'd be surprised if the Thunder don't make the top five, to be honest with you. I think Callum Ferguson's had a bit of a form slump. He started off really, really well, and that's dipped. Daniel Sams seems like he was getting crunched, but he's been the leading wicket-taker in the comp for, for a while. I don't know if he still is as we at the time of recording. And... Alex Ross has started to really, you know, show himself as well to be a, a genuine middle order power hitter. Yeah, I think he's even in contention potentially for um, Australia's, like the international T20 squad. He's been fantastic. Chomping at the heels of Ben McDermott, perhaps. Um, maybe the most notable game for the Thunder recently was making two for 28 from five overs and winning a game. <laughs> Niche start. Which um, was just after an incredible sixes collapse, all out for 76, and then that was enough on Duckworth Lewis to bring it home <laughs> for the that, Thunder. That was a very bizarre game, actually. I was I was working at a pub that night playing a gig, and I watched the entire sixes innings from the drum stool. Mm. Um, yes, before we finished the first set, they were all out. And there were some incredible wickets as well. Gurinda Sandu, Gurinda Sandstorm, the great man. First ball back in Thunder Colours. Yeah. Full bunger on leg stump. Perhaps got a little bit lucky with the decision, but an LBW straight away. And then the rain came straight straight away too. So it was just the weather was celebrating with him. Yeah, It was a massive right. moment. I, I, I think they're a very entertaining team to watch regardless of where they finish. And that's why I hope they finish in the finals. I think they've got some great characters. In fourth, the Scorchers are sitting just a point higher on 12 points. And it seems to me that they're doing what they did best in their run of wins back in the early days of the Big Bash, which is really just making their home ground a, a fortress. And they've had some good home wins recently against the Thunder and they're playing the Strikers at home again. And look, you know, everyone likes to go on about the furnace, but I think it really is kind of a pretty significant factor for them being um, geographically the furthest away team as well. So They have a shocking schedule too in terms of the amount they have to travel. I think they've got yeah. more... They've got more hours in the air by any team by a huge stretch. I think they're traveling like an extra 30 hours or something like that over any other squad. So I think that's actually quite impressive that they're holding their own there in fourth, which seems like a pretty secure spot with only each mm. team only has two or so games to go. You'd think that they, they're probably going to slot into the finals contention now too. I believe if they win one... If they win one of the next two, it'd have to be an incredible run of games from the Heat to both catch them on the points table and also turn the net run rate around because um, Scorchers actually have a pretty good one. You've got a great one, yeah. Yeah. 0.066. Moving up the table, we've got the Sydney Sixers sitting in third, the Magenta Magicians. We've got to make that more of a thing. Similar to the Scorchers, like I haven't watched much of the sixes of recent times. And I've got to be honest, I'm surprised they're as high as they are, given that I don't feel like they play a very compelling brand of T20 cricket. I feel they just play good orthodox cricket at a T20 level. 
But it's it's seeming to work. Josh Felipe is probably the big star that people have been talking about at the top of the order there, striking at 200 every single over and Dorcious as well with his glorious moustache crunching away. Um, I mean, no one's really turning up to watch their games at home, but this this signs look incredibly comfortable. Moises Onregas had a fantastic hit against the Stars the other night, hitting, I believe, 70 off 30. So, you know, their captain's leading from the front and... I think we can assume that they'll be locked away in the top five now. Well, they're three points ahead of the Scorchers um, who are in fourth. So, uh, I mean, again, that, if they win one of their games, that's actually guaranteed um, finals spot for them. And they, they could be looking at a home final as well. Well, hopefully you get over 10,000 people to that. <laughs> yeah, I think that'll um, be a litmus test for how does Big Bash uh, sit in the Sydney psyche moving forward. Um, in second, we've got the Strikers, who've actually just overtaken, thanks to a win last night, uh, against their top-of-the-table rivals, the Stars. So why don't we just talk about them them together? Let's talk about them together. I yeah. think that's a good idea. Um, so maybe, maybe we'll go into a bit of detail with um, with the game last night. Strikers batting first, made 162. They were in, they were in a spot of trouble early on. But um, John O'Wells made 55 off 36 at, at the back end. Zampa went the distance, 38 runs from his four overs. And the uh, the Stars just couldn't get it done, despite Hanscom scoring 65 off 39. I mean, what does Stoinis make in that innings? He made five off 11. Well, that's, that's huge, because Stoinis is the rock who both ticks it over and just doesn't get out at all. Yeah. And the amount of consistent half centuries and centuries that he's been making this tournament. He's I, actually I, far and away the top run scorer over the last three seasons, like by a long distance over people like Darcy Short and Glenn Maxwell, even yeah, that isn't, that doesn't surprise me at all, actually. And he only moved into that opening spot last year. I believe, mm. I think, I think he might've, he may have marked that move with an 80 odd, um, at the MCG as well. I mean, as I look cast my eye down the table, it seems that every team really has those key linchpin players that if you can get them out nice and early, everything falls down. And I know we just said that Soinus got out for five and the Stars subsequently went on to lose. But I feel like with the Stars and the Strikers, they're the ones who, who by far and away have the most depth uh, looking down mm-hmm. their batting orders with their bowling lineups. Um, I think the Stars particularly as well, now that the one-day tour has finished to India, um, with Adam Zamp back there. It's funny that he went for nearly 10 and over uh, in last night's game because I thought he was outstanding over on the subcontinent with the Australian Absolutely. boys. Um, and he's been great for the Stars this year as well as the, as that containment player. Plus, Glenn Maxwell can roll a few over too. I think both teams just have so many options uh, and, and they have a backup for every single position. And what strikes me about both of those teams as well is they've got a good mix of young and old. Like uh, You think of players like Peter Siddle and... Um, you know, they're able to call on his experience when needed. The, then spe- they, the apparent speed demon. That's right. We'll, we'll talk about that in a sec. Um, on, on the same um, hand, they can call on, you know, 20-year-old, how old Rashid Khan is. Oh, he looks like he's 50, but apparently he's only graduated high school still. So you mentioned Siddle's a speed demon. I think the clocks were recording, recording him at about 145Ks last night. And I wonder, <laughs> Alistair, if someone at Big Bash headquarters has gone, look, Let's just dial the speed up a little bit to make everyone think the cricket's a bit faster than it is. Is either, that what's happening? Either that or Peter Siddle has just <laughs> snuck in some salmon on his <laughs> on his pesto-based pizza at some point. Like something's going on there. But the the accuracy that Peter Siddle has 
um, in a T20 and the way he can flip modes and translate it. I would argue Peter Siddle would be a great shout for the for the Australian T20 squad with the World Cup coming up. Well, he's been really, really good actually this whole Big Bash. And uh, I mean, he was instrumental in, in the season where the, the, um, the strikers actually won as well. So And... For, for those listening, Miles has written a great piece called In Defense of 125 Kilometers an Hour. Peter Siddle's the kind of man where you'd think he'd have 125 KMH tattooed on his arm because it's been <laughs> such a marker of his career. But yeah, the, the amount he does not crack under pressure at all. I think cricketers are more and more proving that age is just a number and experience goes far further than, you know, a flash in the pan of potential. Siddle, obviously this year, retired from international cricket. But boy, oh boy, I think he's been lighting up this big bash and it's got nothing to do with... um with his pace. It's everything to do with his temperament mm. and the way he closes out games. I would... Oh, Peter Siddle bowling the final over of the BBL to try and win it for the Strikers. I think that could overtake Brett Lee at Monica Oval against the Scorchers in terms of genuine hype for me. That'd be amazing. And he's, he's up his 16 wickets there, puts him as the equal fourth highest wicket taker in the Big Bash. I confirm as well, you, you mentioned Sam's. Um, he still is the highest wicket taker with 20 wickets from his 12 games. So. That is- that, no offense to Daniel Sams, but that is bizarre to me. <laughs> that is, I mean, I think so much of it had to do with that insane collapse that the Stars had against the Thunder in that ridiculous game a few weeks ago. Let's um, let's cut to your interview with uh, Jaleesa Apps, Alistair, and we'll be back later for um, some just a quick look around the grounds. World cricket. Oh, like I guess. If you don't mind sort of actually starting there, because I guess it's really curious hearing, you know, directly, you know, in that kind of more long-form medium, how that whole world of broadcasting works. Mm. Like how, what, what does it look like for you when you're prepping to cover, say, like an NRL or a cricket game or whatever? Like what is actually the steps involved in being across all of that that you have to put into your work? Well, I guess for us, because we have to be across like I generally watch a lot of sport anyway. The the only sport I wasn't really brought up with was soccer. Mm. Like I, it's something I've really had to learn, but everything mm. else. So I naturally watch a lot of sports, but otherwise um, you do have to be across everything. And then our day to day is so different. Like today, for example, we thought in the morning we were all set up. We were like, right. Um, Jake Duke, the other, another reporter is going to do a tennis package. I'm going to read the daytime sport mm. and um, we've got a rugby league kind of interesting yarn up our sleeve that we're going to run. Yeah. We always try and have rugby league, but it's just a bit quiet. And totally. then this Latrell Mitchell stuff came out that Latrell's like he put on an Instagram post that's like, you know, I've left the roosters. So then our whole day got thrown out mm. and you know, we've now got Jake out at the Roosters and I'm now doing tennis, which I hadn't watched all day, you know. Just yeah, like, totally. Like, and then I've still got to read the Arvo. So it's all like your day just can be so erratic sometimes. Mm. And also you're very understaffed at this time of year. Oh, totally, because everyone's on holidays and stuff. I totally yeah. get it. Like yeah, I'm, for sure. Yeah, like I work in the music journalism sector usually. Right. And so I was at Falls Festival to cover it over the Christmas break. And when I was – literally getting on the plane was when the lawn leg of the festival got cancelled. And oh. it totally was that kind of thing where I was like, well, I'm just going to cop putting the internet on on the flight because I need to write some copies on this. And yeah. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. yeah. And so I completely understand how crazy things can get thrown out 
like in terms of the rhythm and flow of the day, something that I've kind of found um, I've had to reevaluate, you know, from doing journalism in a professional sense is like, I sometimes forget just to be a fan of, of music, for example. So I'm curious for like being a sports reporter, did you ever struggle with that when you sort of first started doing it? Or has that always been a very natural thing for you just to kind of be comfortable keeping it casual as well? I find I still am a fan. Well, the sports that I really care about, so NRL and cricket, the ones I was brought up with, I still feel that fan side in me. But definitely there are um, journalists here that have been doing it for like 30 years Mm. where they probably like they don't watch, even though they cover NRL a lot, they don't watch NRL games if they're exposed to it so much. Mm, But um, I do sometimes find myself, especially with NRL, going, oh, I hope this team wins because they're going to be easy to deal with tomorrow. Yeah, right. <laughs> Whereas, except Raiders because I'm a massive Raiders fan. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, but I do find sometimes I'm like, oh, I really hope the, you know, the Aussies win because <laughs> I don't want to have to stake them out tomorrow and they're in a bad mood. <laughs> yeah, fully. Like, so sometimes you do sort of for things based on how easy your life is going to be. Yeah, fully. I mean, if it's cool for me to ask this, are there any, like, moving to the BBL specifically, um, when you have worked on that, per se, like, for your job, are some teams easier to deal with than others in that regard? Well, I think in cricket, in cricket definitely, they have a really – everyone from the top down is great to deal with. Mm. Like I really can say, like other sports are different mm. uh, where some teams are easier to deal with than others. But um, cricket, the players really understand media. Yeah. And I think that they understand that they're ambassadors for the game and treating the media well and being really available and being really open. Mm. It is just helps the game. So cricket, I rarely ever do I dread having to stake out a cricket team or do I dread having to – because they're always quite gracious and all, like, with their time. Yeah, sure. So I'd say both the big bash teams that I obviously only do New South Wales um, mm. generally, so Thunder and Sixers, mm-hmm. and they're, all, they're both really great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, there, there does seem to be a very kind of chilled-out atmosphere around cricketers that I've noticed that maybe doesn't – say, stand up in other sporting codes necessarily. Um, when you started covering the BBL yourself, mm. what kind of was your opinion towards that? And has that shifted over time? Because obviously I feel like when the BBL started, it was very much like a, I think people call it jelly bean cricket, or that was the term that was used ages ago. And now it, it feels like, well, I mean, I think it is the showpiece event of the summer, whether some people like it or not. So yeah, like how is your own relationship with that? changed and yeah (laughs) I think the big bash um so when the big bash first came out I was really anti the shorter format yeah of cricket generally just because I've been brought up with tests and Mm. you know that any traditionalist you know is a little resistant to that shorter format yeah and I really just was really against it and really negative on it. Mm. And now I love it. Like I mm. watch there every night. I'm, it's great to have cricket every night. Um, and I think it's kind of funny. We've sort of seen it 
grow in this huge popularity and perhaps peter off a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Year and last year, mm. and I'm not sure why that is. I'm not sure if it's because there is so much cricket going on, mm. if it's still competing with other sports. Um, I just I'm, I can't put my finger on it, but I do feel like it probably tapered off a little bit from a few years ago. Totally. Perhaps too because when we first had the big bash, it was there was like still Brett Lee and mm. you know people are back kind of calibre who were at the end of their careers. Yeah, Michael Hussey and stuff, still yeah. rolling out for one more hit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You were like, oh, good, this is so good. How good is it to get one last bit of Brett Lee? Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know why that's happened, but in terms of um, me personally, I feel like I've done a total 180 to my attitude when it first came out. Yeah, to- I mean, I'm, I'm the exact same as you. I feel like I've kind of begrudgingly had to, like at first it was kind of like if your best mate becomes engaged to someone that you don't get on with at first, but then you realise over time, like, mm-hmm. no, this is really beautiful and healthy and, <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. You, you, exactly. You, you it's totally- not for me, but they like, good for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and you completely learned, you learned to love it. I think um what I found really interesting looking at slash experiencing just from a fan point of view has been has been like like when I go to a BBL game versus when I go to a test game, the atmosphere is not necessarily better or worse, but they feel incredibly different still. Um yeah. Yeah, oh, you know, the, the, sure. yeah. And like that there's so many factors to that, you know, there's not a DJ pumping out some classic mid noughties jams in between every single <laughs> shot at a at a test match. But do you think that uh I guess the mission statement of BBL, which was very much around like pulling in new people to the game and then hopefully that can go from there deeper into like the longer forms, do you think that's been achieved or do you think that's actually kind of reversing a little bit? Because now we're seeing a push towards like four day cricket, for example. I don't think that it will ever you will ever get people that are only the fans of the Big Bash transitioning. Yeah. I just they're it's almost a different sport. Mm. Uh, you know, a lot of my friends, I can't get them to a test match to save myself, but I can get them to <laughs> a big bash game because totally. it's fun and you don't have to be that focused and there's other things going on. But I still, they still can't get into the test. And so I kind of feel like, it's a bit of a hard one because you don't want to do the test harm, but you also have to move with the times and you have to get mm. this new audience in, which I think it's 100% got a new audience in. There are people watching the Big Bash that um, would have never, ever watched cricket in their life, mm. but will go to a Big Bash game and will watch a Big Bash game. I get really fearful of what where test cricket's going in general. Mm. Even listening to sort of Tim, I agreed with Tim Payne the other day when he was talking about pink ball tests. He's like, well, you don't really want to play too many of them because, first of all, the novelty wears off. Mm. And second of all, then you're kind of just getting further and further away from the traditional game. So I think it needs to be viewed almost as its own sport. Yeah. Rather than trying to be something that it's not. Oh, I completely... I think, yeah, I tentatively agree. I think I'm realizing that that's, that has to be the case. Um, I've, I've really enjoyed personally following, you know, the emerging cricket world, like, like ODI League Two and, you know, seeing how Papua New Guinea suddenly starting to like break into some of those major T20 tournaments and, and 
Papua New Guinea, for example, in the men's game and same with Thailand in the women's game have been very, very open in like T20 is our preferred format. We're not actually going to invest as much in, um, you know, the longer formats, which in one sense, it's like, oh gosh. But I mean, and I hope this, there's not too much pressure behind this question or whatever, but do you think that figuratively test tragics maybe almost have to like break up with it in a, in a way? Like, because break up with the shorter format? No, 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 no. Break up with, um, I guess the hope of seeing test cricket continuing to endure because I guess, I I can't really see, you know, Zimbabwe and Bangladesh, for example, getting more test matches, you know, just because of the way, like you just said, things are moving and with funding and stuff. Yeah, it's a painful reality, isn't it? Because mm. it, I agree, like, I just, even hearing it just breaks my heart, but I then <laughs> also don't want, I think if you deny change, then you're just going to die as a sport. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. And it also is hard in those other countries where there isn't the funding like we have to throw at every different format. Mm. I'd rather see a country play cricket in any form than no cricket. Yeah, I agree. So I'd rather, yeah, but it is a, it is a hard one. You sort of get the feeling, particularly in recent years, that England, Australia, New Zealand, India mm. are your test sides mm. and everyone else is falling off. Mm, absolutely. I mean, the England... Because of funding, purely because of funding, like South Africa has no funding. Absolutely. They just don't have the money. West Indies have no money. Mm. Do, do, from being, I guess, a bit closer to the players than, say, like myself is, for example, just because <laughs> yeah. of the nature of your work, is there a sense of, like, sadness amongst them at how the game is changing or is it excitement or do you... Do they not really give much of a vibe off on how they're feeling about the direction of the entire thing? Uh, I've never really talked to them in length about it. They're also all pretty good at towing the party line. Like I've asked Fine. them, particularly with this um, new, like the, uh, this series that we're going into now, the one day series, mm. I, which I think is completely pointless and is just ridiculous. Ridiculous that we're Same. playing over in India in the middle of the Australian summer. Mm. And even when I asked them about that, they all tow the party line of, you know, oh, it's good. Like, it'll be, you know, it'll be fine. We'll come back. You know, like they, they say really positive things, mm. which I think is good because they, like, you know, you don't want them stepping out of line. And um, so I haven't really, I guess, asked about that, but I, I suppose there'll always be a desire for players. They'll always rate that test cricket as yeah. the highest thing in their life. And But then you, it's interesting to see um, players like Chris Lynn, who just sort of looked at, you know, his skills and went, I'm a good 2020 player. <laughs> and there are players like that that go, you know what, I'm probably never going to be great in tests, but I'm going to ride this 2020 thing mm. as far as I can all over the world. Absolutely, yeah, Chris Green. I mean, that's a bit of a sore point at the moment, but like he's another. Sorry, one. Chris Lynn. Yeah, oh, no, I agree. Yeah, but I think Chris Green as well, the Thunder player. I know he's been yeah. a journeyman around the world. Um, yeah, his but, situation is so interesting. He's actually speaking at the moment. Oh, okay, sure. Sorry, um, do, do you do you need to like cover stuff for that right now? Or? Oh no, it's okay. I'm in the office, so someone else has gone out to that. But no, that's all good. But it'd be interesting to see what he says because. 
Uh, his, I, I can't imagine how much it would rattle you as a bowler. He was one of the players that I was just, lo- I just loved watching recently. Mm. And I can't imagine how much it would rattle you as a bowler to be told your bowling style is illegal. Like you've basically got <laughs> to learn to bowl again. Well, that's what you do for work. Like if you're that deep into your profession and then you find out everything is, um, you know, is wrong according to the powers that be. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah, and then you've got to go basically relearn and not know if you're good. The, yeah. <laughs> the legal way. Totally. Well, I mean, fingers crossed he has a bit of a Mitchell Stark moment and rejigging the action. I mean, yes. pays dividends. Look, I, I, I know I know you're at work, so I'll, I'll just race through some final quick questions before yeah, we wrap up. Fine. Yeah, sweet. With um with the WBBL, I feel like um the WBBL this year was so exciting to watch, and uh, same with last year. But um, it really felt like, uh, and I kind of I hate speaking like this, but it, it felt like the public was really getting more and more on board. Mm. Um, and particularly seeing, I guess you know, the outcry when the finals weren't aired on primetime, for example. I thought that was actually really encouraging in that the public's really kind of wanting to see it, re- like, given its fu- given the full spotlight that it absolutely deserves. Yeah. D- does it feel, in your opinion, like we're riding a wave that is just going to be absolutely massive when the women's World T20s come around? And does that have longevity? Or do you think that the WBBL is and the success of that for the women's game subsequently is – in, a, in the same way, limited to, like, Australia, England and India? Um, perhaps at the moment it is, but I still – I feel like it's uh, one of the rare areas of any sport that has shown such rapid growth. Mm. And credit to Cricket Australia for how they have – paid the women and um, really invested. We've seen other sports that have tried to do women's league and leagues and they haven't quite taken off. Mm. And it's because the investment hasn't been there. And you can understand why the investment hasn't been there. You don't want to put the money in to, and put a lot of money in and then it's completely unsustainable because you invested too quickly. Yeah, you do want to see it grow a bit and I think mm. that cricket just found that beautiful balance where the women's game was growing and then when it was getting to a, the right level they went right we really need to lure these women so that they do, don't go to other careers mm. and they can do this as a, a full-time career so I think the WBBL the growth of that has been so encouraging and it's paying dividends to Cricket Australia now because it again is getting a whole new audience in mm. and uh, more play, people playing cricket, more money generated, more people going to games. Like even last year, like I went to the um, – I didn't make it to the final this year, but I went to the final last year, mm. and that was um, out of Dremoyne. Yes, and yeah. it was the hottest day on the planet, mm. and there were people outside watching it on the screen that couldn't mm. get inside because it was sold out. Mm. But I was like, you crazy people, go for <laughs> watch it on TV. But they wanted <laughs> to be close to it. And I just thought that was so cool because everyone was trying to get tickets and there were people there like coming up to you being like, you selling tickets to you. And uh, just the growth in the that area of the game, like credit to Cricket Australia for for investing in the right ways. Oh, I completely agree with you. And also, Dremore and Oval's like the most beautiful cricket ground in oh, Sydney. Isn't I think. It? It's such a such a great place to watch the game. If I if love it. yeah, if Australia don't make the grand final um, this coming March, like if they say suffer a defeat against like I don't know, mm-hmm. India, well, like India and England are, the, are, are, are I think are the other big two contenders, and New Zealand if they don't you know freak out under the spotlight. Um, yeah. 
is that a worry? <laughs> because, like, you know, I, I think it's going to be so probably. exciting. But, yeah, what do you think? Like, it probably is in terms of crowd numbers. You want, mm. People want to see Australia in the final. Like, we can't deny that. Um, so I think in terms of crowd numbers, it will be very worrying. But I also think it would be very worrying in terms of the – uh, what has gone wrong because we are such a powerhouse too and mm. I almost think the only thing that's holding um, women's cricket back at the moment is other countries I because agree. they haven't quite caught up and so almost sometimes Australia are so good that you're like oh this is a bit easy you yeah. know like not to be disrespectful but it just hasn't got to the same level in in other countries that it's got to Australia at the moment no absolutely I completely agree and like you said earlier that comes from there's a myriad of reasons for that including funding and even like different cultural reasons like I know the story of the first Pakistan women's tour is just like an incredible thing to to look to look at given some of the the struggles I had to face so yeah I completely agree fingers crossed that Sophie Devine really turns up <laughs> for the key yeah. I think it's good to see other, like I went out the other day to training for um, the Thailand women's cricket team. Oh, what a story. Breakers. And I, I was like, this is so cool. Like the Thailand crickets, they were lovely and they loved it and I was so excited. And I just thought, this is great. Like, And that's probably the one, sports these days in general, it's such a growth it's such a hard thing to grow because you're competing so much against each other. Mm. And also, for some reason, there is participation rates um, in terms of attendance to games. It, there's a problem across all sports at the moment. Like yeah, NRL, right. probably AFL is the only one that's not happening. I think it's even down a bit still, though, isn't it, AFL, in, in comparison to yeah. the mid noughties yeah, definitely, definitely down a bit, and perhaps that's due to broadcasting, and you can see it in more places now. NRL has a problem mm. with it, um, for, particularly in the last few years. I've noticed going to games, there's a real drop off in certain teams, um, but women's cricket seems to be one of those ones that's getting people in, and also because it's still cheap to attend. Mm. Absolutely. They've been really smart about that in that um, it's cheap to take a family to, which other sports are not. Yeah, I completely agree. As long as you don't get stuck in the sun, yeah, yeah, like at the SCG, you know, on a 45-degree day. But I know. <laughs> plenty of time. Yeah, I'm, same. I'm very naturally pale too, so you can imagine how that goes. Oh, the big, the big sombrero. It's such a lifesaver. Well, yeah, 100%. Well, look, thank you so much for, you know, this chat. It's really interesting to, um, I guess, get your perspective given how close you are to the action. The, the last question I've got to wrap up, and it's, you know, it's really probably probably my favourite thing to speculate on with cricket, and that is kits. I think um, ODI kits are a beautiful part of the game. Uh, what is your favourite vintage uh, ODI kit in cricket? Like, if you had to have one vintage jersey just to whack up on the wall, what do you think you'd go for? Uh, I'd probably go... I don't know... I I kind of like the nineteen the ones in the nineties I always like because they sort of take me back to the like you know the days where you just knew what the team was day in and day out like you mm. knew every series who the team was going to be probably the ninety nine one I like the the bars on like, yeah yeah the bars yeah hundred percent I my favorite 
kit is the the New South Wales Mercantile Mutual bar design <laughs> that they had from that era. I think it's a it's an amazing it's an amazing look. <laughs> yeah, I think I like the bars. I think that yeah, the bars. Yeah. I, 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 oh. Yeah, no, I'll go with the bars. Yeah, hundred percent. And the and, and the power yellow helmet. In the what? Sorry. And the power yellow helmet rocked by Steve War. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I feel like the, I feel like the nineties ones. They sort of take you back to that. I don't know. Maybe because of, I assume you're similar age to me. But they mm. take you back to that first sort of love of cricket that you had. Mm, absolutely. Whereas maybe if you ask someone older, they'd go now the eighties can sort of. Ah, oh, look. I mean, I think can't can't beat the nineties. You got new metal and some of the wildest ODI kits in the world. So I reckon that's a very very respectable choice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, uh, well, thank you so much and all the best for the rest of the summer. I like juggling cricket and tennis and breaking NRL stories and stuff. I, I hope it goes really well for you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be on. All right, big thanks to Jaleesa Apps for joining us on the show. Really appreciate her time and her thoughts. Now, let's just have a quick wrap around the grounds. Um, two big series going on in the world and then we'll have a quick nod to the 2020 Women's World Cup, which is coming up. Let's start with England's tour of South Africa. They've played three tests now. Uh, South Africa won the first one. It was a pretty good game, but the last two tests, England have won pretty convincingly. And we'll just well, talk about well, it. The second test was actually really, really good too. Um, it, it was convincing on paper, oh, it, but South yeah, Africa yeah, very, right. very, very, very nearly drew it. Yeah. Um, but I understand the premise. You're <laughs> so right. You're right. So in, in, England won by 189, but it did go down to the wire on the fifth day. Third test, um, big centuries from Stokes and a young guy called Ollie Pope um, meant that South Africa lost following on, couldn't even catch up. England won by an innings in 53. What is the significance of this series for England and what is the significance for South Africa? Oh, both of them are rebuilding. So yep. South Africa's had a huge administrative clean out. They've got a, a whole, but both teams have a whole bunch of youngsters that are being blooded uh, in this series, so to speak. Mm. Um I can't speak as much for South Africa. I know this is Vernon Verlander's uh, swan song, so yep. to speak, but, well, swan song's a interesting word because I think it's a bit of a controversial departure that he's having for South Africa. He's going off to play county cricket. But over for England, you have the likes of Ollie Pope, Dom Sibley, Zach Crawley coming in. Um, Sam Curran, I think, has been going really well. Mark Wood has been sending it down at 150 at times, really, really consistently. These are guys who all should have played in the Ashes, and it's not clear why they didn't really. Uh, well, Especially I mean, Zach Crawley. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there's a little bit of... um sentimentality shown by the English selectors, particularly towards players like when, when players like Jimmy Anderson declare themselves fit and also then back it up with some really, really good bowling. It's hard to not be swayed by who your first 11 and what your overall squad is going to be. Then I would argue that the only real, um, downer for England has been Joss Butler hasn't really (laughs) done as much aside from swear his head off at Vernon Philander from behind the stumps uh, which was a very 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 funny moment that people can watch on YouTube if you want to hear some obscenities said by a man who's he got charged or some some suspension points or something and he clearly clearly regretted what he was doing as soon as he started doing it Um, well Folks is waiting in uh, the wings um, with the keeping gloves 
um, th- for them. So, I, I mean, I just really want Wokes, Stokes and Folks to all play a test <laughs> match together. I think as well, uh, this has in a way saved Joe Root's captaincy. Not in terms of he was never a good captain, because I think, I think he uses his bowlers really well. Leads from the leads from the front in terms of the expectations that he has of his players and the way he tries to bat sensibly. He occasionally, obviously, has brain fades like anyone does, really. Um, but he hasn't made huge scores, but he's used his bowlers incredibly well. He made sixty-one in the second test in what was that, in that really really thrilling finish, and in the third test, uh, Root pitched him with just a 27 and that was it. But He took four wickets in one of the innings, I believe. I didn't actually know that, but that's and that's it, very good. People were criticizing him because he bowled himself perhaps more than he should have. He wasn't he took four very quick ones and then I think you know obviously wanted to get the five for and perhaps kept himself on a bit too much. To to talk maybe um about the other side of things um and roots opposite number Faf Duplessis, there's been a lot of talk about um, maybe an announcement from Faf about retiring. I've heard this. I mean, yeah. it, he's had a very interesting career in one sense and a very uninteresting career in another. Like, obviously, he's been at the centre of a lot of really big moments like South Africa's Test Series wins, uh, both in Australia and in South Africa. He obviously wore a towel um, during a fight and, and that was a huge moment. Biggest, biggest alpha <laughs> yeah. move caught on camera in world cricket. But he averages something like 35 in test cricket and never really kind of stamped his name as one of that top top tier players that he possibly should have. Mm. Yeah, it's it's tricky because like with the new administration that's coming in, like Mark Boucher is overseeing things and Jacques Callis is working really closely with the team as well. So like some of those are fast former teammates, both domestically and and internationally. And South Africa, South Africa do have a tendency for people to hang on a little bit too long, like looking at you, Hashim. But at the same time, he's got so, so much fight in him. And so I feel like, like he's still only 33, I believe. He's not super old. And he, he, I think that's a really interesting point. He does have a lot of those maybe um, more invisible characteristics that are still so important for a cricketer and for a, for a captain as well. Let's head a few kilometers up. Um, oh, hang on. Let's head a few hundred kilometres up the coast to Harare in Zimbabwe where Test Cricket has returned for the first time in Thank God. a number of years. Unfortunately, it's looking like a bit of a bore draw as Sri Lanka are touring. Um, they're playing two tests in Harare this tour. And the first one, a bit of a bat off, Zimbabwe 358, which is really, really glad that they've put in a strong performance um, with the bat, but um, Sri Lanka were just a bit too strong. Angelo Matthews overnight, 200 not out um, before declaring. And then Zimbabwe held on for 17 overs last night with only one day left to play. To, to me, this is a similar series to the Pakistan v Sri Lanka series, which actually was really, really entertaining anyhow. But it's more about test cricket getting a run in these countries that have been starved of it for so long. To see Zimbabwe back playing test matches is a huge relief. Yep, yep. It's it's also good just to see Sri Lanka playing so many games. They're about to host England as well on a tour. Um, I think the World Test Championship has really contextualised test cricket again for the better, which is good. I think, you know, especially with T20 being the way of the future for a lot of these emerging cricket nations, so to speak. You know, to be able to see... Countries like Zimbabwe, Sri Lanka, and Bangladesh, and I guess the West, West Indies as well as sort of the main four that you really want to see mm. get back to their former glory slash fulfill that potential they've had for so long. 
even just playing against each other really spurs that along. Plus, Zimbabwe have a, have a player whose name is Prince. I think <laughs> I think that's just got to always be held in high esteem and treasured by the cricket community. One of my favourite players growing up to watch was Ashwell Prince from South Africa. So hopefully go. he follows on in that fine tradition. The Africans always have the good names. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I think it is more about the fact that, that there is cricket than about the, the, the actual cricket itself. I mean, it'd be really great if the second test is is a bit more exciting, um, and especially as long as Zimbabwe are competitive, really. And totally, um, and and particularly, you know, the more you have Test cricket being played there, the more you have the youth coming in. The Zimbabwe under nineteens made the World Cup final four years ago, so you actually you have the root the grassroots there to really develop the game more. Obviously, there's been some highly publicised issues in terms of funding and how that's been used over in Zimbabwe. But I think, yeah, at the moment, any result in terms of cricket being played yeah. against full member nations is a good result. So, And I think next year, Afghanistan and I believe Bangladesh are scheduled to, to tour Fantastic. With, with test cricket being played on both of those. So. Right. And, uh, you know, neither of them are big test cricket powerhouses, but playing against each other is only going to improve. And arguably one of the factors maybe that killed Zimbabwe, I mean, everyone likes to talk about um, Matthew Hayden's 380, but the worst world record of all time. Yeah. I mean, it was those kind of series that really just made, made it feel like uh, there's a lack of um, motivation to keep Zimbabwe in the test cricket scene. If they're going to go to Australia and just get thumped, like it's really great for these kind of second tier teams to be playing against each other. And obviously Ireland recently have stepped back from, from playing test cricket or there's a funding issue. I think it was, yeah, they meant to play a test, some tests against Bangladesh, I believe. Yeah. And, that's been axed and instead they're just doing some T20Is. They're doing some T20Is against Afghanistan and they were, I think they're going to be doing some ODIs against New Zealand. And Ireland as well have also been in a really, really great entertaining mm. series against the West Indies um, over in the yeah, over yeah, in the yeah. Caribbean. Yeah. Some really exciting competitive white ball games there too. So there does seem to be a very clear uh, gap emerging between, say, the top four and bottom tw- eight nations or whatever of full member things. But it still doesn't change the fact that some of these matches are are, are really quality and the more that they play against each other, the the more competitive they're going to be against those top four member nations. That'll do it um, for today. It's been great being back. Um, Great chatting with you, Alistair. And we'll be back, I think, probably around the end of the regular season with the Big Bash. We'll preview the finals. We'll have another more detailed look at the T20 World Cup that's coming up for the women. Till then, we'll see you next time. See us.